Well, hey, friends, welcome to the Everyday Mulemanship Podcast. I'm Ty Evans. Uh, so glad to hang out with you today. Uh, it's been a, a few weeks since I've recorded. Um, life has been uh, pretty darn busy around the Evans family. Uh, I've been flying back and forth to clinics and um, going and just going and going and going. And then we get home and spend time with the family and uh, all kinds of stuff to catch up on. So it's been busy. Um, got a huge project I'm working on right now. Some of you already have heard about it. Uh, next year, 2023, in January, we kick off our Mulemanship Masterclass. And this has been a big project for me the last couple of years, trying to get it prepped. And now I'm really digging in and um, getting all the programming lined out for everybody and and uh, super excited for, for the Masterclass. If you guys uh, don't know what that is, basically it's 40 weeks of, uh, of Mulemanship. And we're going to start from, from the beginning, uh, January. I know that's always tough for people to get out and ride a lot. So we're going to start with groundwork and, um, February, get to ride in Jan or in March, more riding. And then we progress all the way through the entire snaffle bit checklist over the 40 week period. Um, working on all the progressions of, of all the maneuvers that your meal needs to know, um, and I'm going to be coaching. I, I'm taking a select group to to coach through this um, where they can, you know, talk to me on a weekly basis and get the help they need. And then I've also opened up the class to to anybody who wants to enroll and maybe maybe not get coaching, um, but wants to follow along and do the online course. Uh, so that's the big project I've been working on. Um, again, it has been work, but I think it's going to be really cool. Uh, you know, so many of you, I just get to see you for three days at a clinic and, and then I don't see you again until next year. So I said, how can I make this so I can keep up with these people and so we can do more and keep going and keep working and, and all that. And, um, this is a way that I can keep up with everybody. So super excited about it. If you want to know more information on the master class, go to tsmeals.com, click on masterclass and it'll tell you all about it and of course you can shoot me a question anytime my email is ty at tsmules.com so anyways um a few things i want to talk about on this episode i want to talk about uh the last three clinics i've been to i want to t answer some questions from our listeners talk to you about what's been going on and uh today i'm coming to you from the freightliner studio uh, not because I'm on the road, but just because this is the only quiet place at my at my house uh, right now. As I'm speaking, Sky and the girls are inside doing doing homeschool, and uh, homeschool can be a battle. Those of you that know about teaching can uh, relate to that. Um, so, anyways, <laughs> I wanted to come outside, uh, jump in the truck, and. Uh, Anyways, and it does kind of bring me back to being on the road. You know, I really like being on the road. Flying has been interesting. It's been a whole different setup. So I'm going to talk about that a little. Um, but uh, I do miss being in the truck, going down the road with my mules in tow, my family with me. You know, the I, I'd say that the main thing I miss above all is my family coming with me. 
it's most of you know we come as a package deal and the last three clinics i've been to multiple people have said what sky and the girls aren't here what the heck um i'm not i'm not gonna stick around you know they they joke and play and but but it's kind of it's for for me i i totally understand it it is a package deal we do come together and um yeah I feel I mostly feel bad for all the people that don't get to meet Sky because Sky uh, is so wonderful. And those of you that know Sky would agree with me. She's just so cool. She's definitely the you know of the two of us. She's she's the one you need to know the most. She's she's just wonderful. Um, and uh, yeah, that's been so. And not having the family with me is probably the toughest thing. The other thing is uh, not having my own mules now. I'll tell you what I've discovered. I've been doing some, you guys know me. I'm always trying to test things out. I'm I'm always doing my own science. You know what I mean? Trying to experiment. And I've kind of asked a few people this and, and I've kept track of what people have said o- over the last year since I've been flying a lot more. And, you know, it's funny. You, you can't please everybody. And I, and I get that. I can't make all of you happy. I would love to make every one of you happy, but I just realized that I can't do it. Because when I bring my mules, typically I have my mules and I put a crap ton of work into my mules. I, I do a lot of work trying to get them, get them handy. That's my passion. That's my joy. I really love making bridal mules. So I put a lot of time into it, right? And so when I show up to the clinic, I like to have a mule to demonstrate to you what it is supposed to look like. Now, those of you that have been coming to clinic for years, you know, I often do bring a new mule with me every year. Uh, one of my colts, I, I start hauling a new colt every year and getting them used to some things. And, and I usually use them in the foundation class, which is fine because really, you know, the, the groundwork guys, it really doesn't take very long to get going. I mean, you can get that groundwork going and, and get it looking good in just a couple weeks, really. Uh, you know, so, you know, I can take a green one and it'll be looking nice real quick in the foundation class. In the riding class though, it is important to have something to demonstrate on. And, and a lot of people, when I have my own mule that kind of looks like it knows what it's doing, which it should, um, a lot of people are like, oh, I wish you'd show us on a mule that doesn't know so we could see how to work through it. Well, guess what? The last three weeks at these clinics, I've been using stuff that doesn't quite know um, how to do this stuff. And when I ride these mules that don't quite know how to do these things, then I get the other complaints. I wish you'd show us, uh, bring us a mule that, you know, you could show us how to do it correctly on. <laughs> so I, just, I can't make everybody happy, guys. I'm trying. But the latter is the most correct because I've realized that if if I can show you what it's supposed to look like, what this this whole maneuver what what each move what each process is supposed to look like it gives you a picture so you know where you're going you know what you're working towards if you don't know what you're working towards then it's really hard to get there if if you have a destination in mind um or rather excuse me if you don't have a destination in mind but you're just out there on the road you don't know which way to go because you don't know where you're trying to get to it's kind of like the the story about the the two groups of of people and I probably shared this on the podcast before because I shared a lot I'm sure but I'll say it again uh, about the two groups you know the, the teacher comes in and says okay class there's a paper sitting on your desk I want everybody to fold the paper in half 
Okay, now take the right corner, fold it down to the middle. Take the left corner, fold it down to the middle. And he keeps going on with instructions. And at the end of the instructions, he asks, okay, everybody hold up their paper. Everybody holds it up. And and every paper is different. Everybody folded it a little differently. The second group, or he, or excuse me, then the next, uh, he has another paper sitting on the desk. Uh, and uh, he says, okay, now let's pick up this piece of paper and we're all going to make a paper airplane. And he gives the same instructions. And because he said, to the to the set in the second round we're all going to make a paper airplane then all the students all the people listening could be in line and, and they could work together because they knew they're going to build a paper airplane so these instructions make more sense to these people um, but to the first group they didn't have the idea that it's going to be a paper airplane let's just start folding papers all they got and it's the same thing with you when you're working towards this stuff if you don't know what you're trying to achieve it is really hard to get there. You need to be able to see it. You need to be able to, um, you know, get to where you can uh, have an idea of what you're working towards so you can achieve it. So definitely um, the last three weeks, these last three clinics, I have absolutely come to appreciate hauling my mules and demonstrating to people with, with my mules, things that I really put time into. Now, I need to give a shout out because the mules that I've used the last three weeks in Iowa and Ohio and New York have been wonderful creatures. Um, they're all, they've all been gentle. They've all been, been good animals. Um, a couple moments, uh, had, had me, uh, raising an eyebrow. Um, but for the most part, they were all really, really decent animals. And, um, so that's good. You know, it wasn't like I was in danger or anything or have to go for a bronc ride. Uh, you know, or anything like that, but they did not understand how to operate. Now there was a couple that did pretty dang good, and I, and I want to make sure that uh, that I, uh, you know, thank everybody that let me ride ride an animal. Um, but it has really taught me how important it is to to bring something to you to show you how it's supposed to look, so you know what you're working for. And those of you that want to see me work through it, well, guess what? The last three weeks, you've got to see me work through things with all those animals. But um, it's been fun. So, uh, yeah, the other thing about flying, um, those of you that know me well uh, know how absolutely particular I am about sound systems. It is a major pet peeve of mine if the sound is poor. And it has been a challenge flying to clinics because I don't get to bring my sound system with me. And I've spent a lot of money trying to get really good quality sound um, on everything I do, even including this podcast, the microphones I use and everything. I try to have quality sound. And and um, in my clinics, that's imperative because I've learned it doesn't matter what I say. If you can't hear me, it doesn't matter what I have to tell you. And uh, so... It's been a little bit of a learning curve, and and I've tried to stress to my hosts that please make sure my sound that you know that they get is is really good. Um, you know, uh, we've had a couple little little situations with that, and and uh, it's really distracting to me. You know, so that's been another change up of flying. You know, rather than driving, but I tell you what, it has been really nice not to worry about breaking down on the side of the road. You know, haven't had any flat tires flying so far, you know, uh, haven't burned up any bearings, haven't, you know, had any problems, haven't been pulled over, you know, in the air, you know, or anything like that. And 
uh, you know, all the stresses of driving and worrying about making it, um, you know, you don't have that flying so much. It's, it's a, it's a lot less dramatic for sure. But, you know, something that's interesting, uh, that I wanted to mention about flying that goes right into with, with mulemanship is, is awareness and being present. Um, it's amazing how these airports and, and people flying, how it works, because there are th- literally thousands of people together in these airports. And unless they're in your group, nobody talks to anybody. Nobody says hello there's no waving as you pass by. There's no, how's it going? How you doing? Uh, the people that work at the airports barely even acknowledge you, especially the TSA folks. And I, I got a few buddies that listen to this that are, do the TSA thing, so I can harass them because it's amazing. And I don't blame them because, you know, how many people they got to shove through there, but there is absolutely no personality. There's just like, there's, we're just moving through there like cattle going to slaughter. You know, um, but nobody is aware of each other. And uh, this is something that's really um, weird for me. You know, Sky and I, we come from Utah, a lot of friendly people here in Utah. Um, The area we live, everybody's going to wave to you going down the street. You know, everybody's going to say hi um, if you see somebody, you know, even in the grocery store, you pass somebody, you'll say, how's it going? Probably. And, um, I'm not saying it's always like that, but it's usually like that. So take me, put me in an airport. Nobody wants to talk to you. And then the weirdest thing, sitting on an airplane for, you know, how many hours, some of these flights for me going back East have been four hours or whatever, four hours sitting on a plane next to somebody and they don't speak to you the entire time. You know, um, I always try to say hello and how's it going. And, you know, the basic uh, small talk, right? And I understand some people don't like small talk, but whatever, it's better than ignoring each other. Um, you know, and it, it reminds me when I was in college, I, uh, those of you that don't know, I, I actually have a bachelor's degree in criminal justice um, with emphasis in criminology and and uh, criminal profiling and things like that. And anyways, um we were we were uh, in a class one time and the professor says um and this is like midway through class he says okay all right you guys so just so you know um the 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 murderer and we were we were doing a scenario of you know trying to find the person that killed somebody the murderer was sitting in the third row in the second seat from the left describe the murderer and what this teacher had actually done, this professor had done, is he had invited a guest a guest to sit in there, just a friend of his, to sit in there halfway through class, just as another student. You know, we, we didn't really know, and not everybody sat in the same seats every day, and you know how college is. You show up and do your thing, right? And anyways, he says that that murder was sitting, sitting over there, that third row, second seat over there, and uh, describe what he looked like. In fact, he didn't even say he. He just he said described they described what the murderer looked like. He didn't tell if it was a tell us if it was a, a man or a woman. It, it was a man. It turned out being a man. Uh, some of us remembered, but um, didn't tell us man or woman. 
whatever, didn't tell us anything about this person, describe the person. And it was amazing how many of us couldn't describe the person because we weren't aware of those around us. And anyways, it stuck with me ever since then. I just try to be more aware of of the people around me, you know, um, and, and it's really helped me with my mulemanship. I'm going to get around to that in just a second here. But, uh, you know, flying, it's just amazing, all these people, and, and we'll sit on a plane next to them, you know, for four hours, and, and I bet some of these people couldn't describe me at all you know just everybody tunes out does their own thing and, and i do i do that now i guess i i've been working on the computer a bunch when i'm flying uh, working on the master class stuff and all this but um yeah there's such a lack of awareness now if that's how you interact around your mules you are going to be discounted so quickly your mule is absolutely going to discount you and you're going to be pretty worthless to the mule they like awareness the mule you know ray hunt had a phrase and you know i I may be reading into it wrong but he would always say the horse knows uh knows when you know and it knows when you don't know um and i used to just think that meant you know like well it knows if you know how to ride or not you know it knows if you know how to handle it or not but now i think a little differently i think what that means, the mule really understands if you you are aware. If you are aware of what's around you and you're present in your situation, um, I I know the mule just appreciates it so much more. I've I've practiced it. I've 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 put this to practice. I've I've experimented with this, and you know you get some of these mules that just look around all the time, and they're they're just really bothered by their surroundings and they're very very concerned and then you get others that aren't and i've noticed mostly that it's not so much the mule as it is the person because i have also witnessed this the same mule that was confident with one person you put it with another person and the mule loses its confidence and awareness is such a big deal um when we tune out all of our surroundings and we're not present and we tune out the world around us and sometimes, believe it or not, we tune out our mules. Think about your last trail ride. Did you tune your mule out? There's a lot of people that do. They don't realize it. they just start poking down the trail and they're visiting with their buddies. Nothing wrong with it. But they don't realize that sometimes they tune those mules out. And um, that lack of awareness is a direct correlation with the lack of mulemanship. And so this whole airport experience is just totally contrary to everything that I try to practice in my whole life because it, it's kind of sad too. But if you do try to talk to somebody, it's weird. You know, they look at you like you're a weirdo. They want to be left alone. I don't blame them. And honestly, a lot of times I want to be left alone too. When I'm in the midst of my work, I want to be left alone. I, I feel the same way, but it's just a different experience. And, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's been interesting. This whole flying deal has been interesting, but we've had a few good clinics for sure. So the last three that I've been to that we haven't uh, done a debrief on were was Elkhart, Iowa, Gloucester, Ohio, and New Berlin, New York. Um, a lot of amazing people to highlight and a lot of things I could talk about. Um, you know, uh, in, in Elkhart, Iowa... There's a there's a couple people that I just got to give a shout out to 
that really need to be um, appreciated. And there's a lot of people that should be appreciated, but I'm sorry, I just you can't um, talk about everybody, I, I suppose. But uh, in Iowa, I got to give a shout out to Dan Harper. Um, Dan and uh, his mule Sticks. You know, when I first met Dan and Sticks, he was having all kinds of issues with Sticks. Sticks is pretty touchy. And and he was, you know, he, he wasn't getting along maybe how he wanted to. Of course, that's why he come to a clinic. And, you know, he has done a really good job. Um, and it's a, it, it's just, you can, you can give all the credit to the process here. You know, you got to have a process to do these things and to get them done right. And, and you got to stick to the process. And, and Dan has worked really hard at it. And he's had things over the years and that have gotten his way, some health stuff and, and obstacles of life that we'll all have. You're all going to have the obstacles of life come up for sure. But he's stuck with it. And his mule sticks has made just leaps and bounds because Dan has made leaps and bounds. Dan has made a lot of progress. So, Dan, if you're listening out there, Dan Harper from Missouri, good job to you, buddy. Um, a couple others that... Uh, that I want to mention here. Um, you guys have heard John Sklarski. He's, he's been on the podcast. If you haven't listened to his episode, go back. Uh, oh, it was last year we, we recorded, I believe. And anyways, he's just a heck of a great man, a great trainer, but I got to, I got to tell, tell John, thank you because he brought a handful of folks down to the clinic in Iowa. And, uh, you know, he, he just is a great promoter and a great ambassador of mulemanship. And he had a nice horse there named Annie. And this is one of the great animals that I was able to use. Um, just a nice horse. And he let me use Annie in the groundwork. And she was just just awesome for the groundwork. It's just a really great example. Um, and uh, I was hoping to be able to ride her too, but John was in the riding class, so he wanted to ride uh, the horse. And uh wasn't able to ride the mule he brought so he ended up riding her but um i would have loved to got a chance to ride that horse she's a just a sweetheart and um if any of you guys follow us on social media john came to our rock crawl clinic um back in the spring and we got a sweet picture of john and annie just launching off a rock <laughs> so it's pretty cool check that out on our facebook ts mules um anyways but john has done a great job on annie he's got her in the hackamore and looking really nice. Um, it won't be long before uh, he'll have her straight up in the bridle. Um, he did ride us two rain one day and looking pretty dang good in it. Uh, he's well on his way. So good job, John. Um, a couple of things I just want to mention from Iowa. One, you know, you need to be very flexible with your mulemanship and, and what you're doing. There's one participant that the first day I said, you know, we need to, to ask for a little bit more engagement on that soft feel. You know, when you guys first start picking up the soft feel, um, it's fine. Then they just kind of give and re you release no big deal. But at some point, you pick up the soft feel and you want the mule to engage and basically kind of hold the soft feel at the standstill. 
So you're just looking for a little bit more effort from the mule, okay? So I said this to the participant. Okay, good, take note. Well, the next day we're working, and she was having a heck of a time with uh, getting the soft feel now. So she went from needing to engage the mule more and actually hold for a little longer to now she goes to pick it up and the mule is bracy. And so I say, okay, well, today you just pick it up and release as fast as you can. And she was really confused. She said, well, yesterday you told me to hold it longer. I said, and, and so I had to explain the process. And this is something that can get confusing because we are a linear thinking people. We're always planning ahead and everything runs in days and weeks and months and years for us. Well, the animal doesn't work that way. It's just another day. It's just a moment in time for that animal. They're not thinking ahead or behind that far. They're not comparing today to yesterday, or they're definitely not thinking about the future of tomorrow that far, okay? So we stick to the process, and we stick to going in order always. For example, the soft feel. Let me just take a moment and explain some of the soft feel progressions in the snaffle bit. And those of you that are doing the master class, we are going to spend like, it's, I think it's like 15 or 20 weeks um, doing soft feel progressions all the way through each week, a different progression of the soft feel. So there's a lot of stuff to the soft feel business, you guys. It's a, it's a big deal. Okay. There's a lot of things to it, but just a, a brief little idea you wouldn't hold the soft feel at the standstill until you could pick it up punctually. Okay. And then you wouldn't, you wouldn't ask for the soft feel to walk until you could hold the soft feel at the standstill. And you wouldn't try to hold the soft feel at the walk until you could pick it up at the walk punctually. In the trot, I wouldn't pick up a soft feel in the trot until I could hold it at the walk. Um, or at least pick it up at the walk. And so you, you're working your way up this list, but every day it starts over. You check on these things each time you ride. So you, you check on each day. Okay, we start out, let's just pick it up at the standstill. Oh, well, it's not punctual today at the standstill, so I'm not going to hold it at that moment. Now, you might be holding it five minutes later, but in that moment, you got to work from there. And this is the biggest obstacle for all of you out there working with your mules is you, you comparison is good. You know, we we're always talking about observe and remember and compare, but you do that from the beginning each day. And it doesn't matter how far I got yesterday. It only matters what I can get done today. So just because I could maybe hold the soft fill at the standstill yesterday, but today, they're not even punctual picking it up. That doesn't mean I just get automatically hold it just because I did it yesterday. So I'll go on to picking it up. You know, I'll just work on that for a little while. Anyways, as you're progressing up your checklist through all of your, your work, you keep that in mind. Every day you start over and you've, you've heard me talk about it a million times, the power of starting over. It is so important to be willing to start over. Every good horseman, muleman, woman, I've ever met is willing to start from the beginning, not just every day, but moment by moment. So keep that in mind as you're working. 
Hey, we're going to take a quick break and thank one of our amazing sponsors, and uh, we'll talk about some more stuff uh, with these clinics when I get back. Hey, we want to thank our sponsors, Western Mule Magazine. Ben and Anita Tennyson do a amazing job with their magazine. I've been writing for them for a few years now, and uh, they're great. Look up westernmulemagazine.com and check them out. All right, we're back with the Everyday Mulemanship Podcast. Um, another thing that was interesting that I thought would be worth noting for our podcast today was a comment that one of the participants made in Iowa. Um, this particular person has been coming to clinics for a long time. One of our longest running clinic participants Um her name is Rose Shoemaker, and she was one of our earliest clinic hosts back when she lived in Washington. She's moved to Iowa now, and she's still coming to clinics. But I got to give a shout out to Rose for a couple things. Number one, for continuing to come to clinics, even though she's not hosting it. There are so many of our hosts that if they don't host it, they don't come. And after they've hosted, they don't come anymore. Um you know, and, and, you know, a lot of it's because, you know, if they're not hosting, they don't get the perks of hosting, of course, which not a lot of things, but um, they get to participate. Anyways, so thank you, Rose, for coming to clinics, even though you're not hosting it, not running everything, um, because that's pretty rare. Most of my hosts just do their own, and that's fine. Nothing wrong with that, but uh, I appreciate Rose's willingness to come out and learn, even though it's not her clinic. But Rose said something that should be noted. She said that, well, I can't quote her exactly. I don't remember exactly what she said, but something along the lines of, what you're teaching this time is completely different from where you began. Like, you know, so much has changed. And that's for sure. This is our 10th year. Well, we're over 10 years now of of doing these clinics publicly. And... Um, that's a decade of learning. And, uh, you know, for me these days, I have around 700 head, give or take, of, of mules and horses and donkeys come through our clinics every year. And if you're not getting better when you have 700 head a year to work with and, and that many people to work with, you're doing something wrong. And um, so for sure. Yeah, I mean, almost everything has changed over a 10-year period, except the process. Now, the process has been, you know, maybe refined upon, but the points of the checklist that the mules need to know, that doesn't change. But the things that we do to get that accomplished, they improve. The way I explain things hopefully gets better and more clear as I'm working and as, as these days and these months go on. But, but for sure, every clinic is different. The clinic that I'm I'm gearing up for right now, I'm getting ready to head to Virginia here in just a few hours. Um, you know, I will be better this week than I was last week in New York. I know more now. I've had more experience now. So it'll be different. So there's no two clinics the same. And the, the latest clinic is, is probably going to be where you're going to get the most information for sure. So... Anyway, shout out to you, Rose. Thanks for continuing to come all these years. 
and for always being willing to learn and improve. So there's so many great folks that came to Iowa. Um, I got to give a shout out to a lady named Ashley Williams. She was just uh, so, so uh, happy to work on things. I always appreciate a good smile. So if you're listening out there, Ashley, thank you for being happy and showing up and and uh, working hard. That was just a lot of fun. Um, let's talk about Ohio a little bit. I did uh, just recently, just last week, I did basically back-to-back clinics in, in Ohio and New York. Ohio was perfect weather, just so beautiful, mid, you know, low to mid-60s every day, sun, blue sky, no wind, just gorgeous, gorgeous days, and we were inside in an indoor arena. And then the next week, I'm in New York, and I don't think it got over 50 degrees uh, any of the days of the clinic. And it was raining and kind of cold and windy, and and we were outside. <laughs> That's just how it goes. You know, the whenever we have the indoor arenas, it's great weather. But you know what? I appreciate the indoor arenas, and I'm getting more and more particular about booking clinics, especially especially uh, east of the Mississippi you know, they got to be covered or indoor pretty much to, to make it happen these days because, you know, you guys just like the rain back there. You like that green stuff growing on the ground and that rain. And, and uh, anyways, so Ohio, um, a lot of, a lot of great people came. Um, I got to give a shout out to um, Lauren Coley. Her and her husband, Zach, came to the clinic. They're just wonderful people. Uh, and they brought their donkeys. And Zach probably rides one of the biggest donkeys I've ever been around. It's a, it's I don't know how tall it is, but it's a it's a big dude, old Henry. And, uh, uh, or, or Rusty, excuse me. And, and Lauren rides Henry. And Henry's in the bridle. Um, he is straight up in the bridle. And it's really cool to see somebody working through that and, and having that going. Uh, she'd done a great job with that donkey and he probably rides, he's probably one of the best riding donkeys, um, that I've ever seen. Uh, just phenomenal and, uh, really, really cool to see that. So many people, I don't know how many of you listen out there have donkeys. I, you know, I'm speaking to a small group of of all of our followers for sure because in a year, in a year's time, out of 700 head total, probably only 30 to 50 of them will be donkeys. So that's about all I get to work with every year is 30 to 50 donkeys. The rest of them are are mules and horses. Um, but Lauren has done a great job on that donkey, and so many people don't put the time into them. I feel because donkeys are so simple and easy to work with, a lot of folks get away with so many things. They just kind of get on and they just kind of get on and get to riding and they don't put in the effort to actually get the donkey ready. And a lot of people do this with mules too. You know, mules and donkeys are really, really easy creatures to, to work with. Um, you know, the horses, the, the, you know, they're, they're great too, for sure. I mean, there's a reason that people have been riding horses and donkeys and mules for thousands of years because these creatures are easy. 
compared to other animals, you know? Uh, so, but the donkeys are the, are the easiest to get along with, I believe, uh, at least in my experience. They're the least dramatic. They're the least flighty. You know, horses are on the other end. They're the most flighty um, relative to the donkeys and the mules. The, the mule's right there in the middle. The, the mule can take over the, you know, take take things from that mom and be flighty a little bit or maybe docile like the donkey, its dad. It's in the middle somewhere. But I think because donkeys are so docile and really harmless, the average one is anyways, um, a lot of people get away with stuff. They just kind of get on. They just start going down the trail. They don't really ever work on them. They don't ever really train them. And then the donkey doesn't really know much. Kind of gets just pulled around, pushed around, kicked around. And there's never a lot of progress made. There's never a lot of greatness that comes about there. It's just used. Well, Lauren is not doing that. Lauren is actually getting this donkey handy. And it is really cool, you guys. It might sound funny to some of you that aren't, aren't in this world of the donkey. But getting these donkeys handy it's pretty cool to see and it can be done um the only glitch that come up and i told lauren about this was she also has a really nice horse that's in the hackamore in fact she let me ride the horse in, in the clinic in gloucester and he was great um his name was teddy and uh he was he was pretty great and i enjoyed riding him and he was a good one to show stuff on because Lauren has, Lauren really works on these things. She works at this stuff. She really tries, but she was, she was trying to ride her donkey like she rode her horse. And that's not wrong. But what I mean, what I mean to say is she had the same standards with the donkey as she did with her horse, which is a good thing to a point. It's a good thing because she actually pushes this donkey and actually tries where most people just get on their donkeys and fart down the trail and don't do anything. And the donkeys never get any engagement and they get duller and duller throughout their life. Not Lauren's donkey, but some of the, the things, some of the performance she was expecting it to be like the horse, the turns and the stops and the transitions. And, and the donkeys just don't have the athleticism that the horse does. So, even if we have the same standards, we work at it. It's going to be pretty challenging to get that donkey to turn, stop, back, and and do these maneuvers and, and perform to the same capacity that that really athletic horse can. And that's one of the things that, you know, when we make the mule, that's the best attribute that we get from the horse is the athleticism. You know, from the donkey, we get, we get other things, you know. But the athleticism is primarily from the horse. And so it's important as you're working with each of these animals to treat them as individuals. And it's it's not even good enough to say horse, mule, or donkey. No, they're individuals. A lot of people will ask me, well, what do you like better, horses or mules? I'm like, that's way too, way too general. You got to give me a specific horse or a specific mule. <laughs> and they don't really like that. I'm like, well, no, that's, that's the only way I can tell you which one I like better is if you give me a specific one-to-one animal. It's not good enough to say horse or mule or donkey. It's it's individuals. And when you're working with them, remember to treat them that way. It's it's really important to do that. So anyways, good job, Zach and Lauren. Um, you know, I always enjoy people that are really engaged in learning and really try hard 
to improve and, and try hard to be better. Um, you know, and I like, I like when people put themselves kind of out of their comfort zone to, to do these things. And, uh, a fellow that came to the clinic, uh, in Gloucester, his name was Matt Ellis and he was a dog trainer or he is a dog trainer. Uh, that's what he does. And so he had a lot of interesting things because it is definitely different training horses and mules and donkeys and dogs is different, but it, it's the principles of learning are universal between species and, you know, animals and people and, and all of us, you know, one of the main things that we shared as we talked about the, the dogs and the horses and the mules and stuff was make the right thing easy, wrong thing difficult. It's just a universal rule uh, for everything, whatever you want to get done. It's, it's the art of salesmanship to the animal or to the, whatever it is to the person. If you guys are in that business of, you know, how can you make the right thing easier and the wrong thing difficult? And if you, one of the things that we was talking about, you know, some people get pretty hung up on, on, on making the wrong thing difficult. They, they're good at that. As humans, we can be pretty darn good at making the wrong thing difficult. That's, that's easy for us. Let's make it hard. We, we can do that. But how can we focus on making the right thing easier, easier to do that? And that was one of the big things I was trying to, to help these people with there in Ohio was, hey, how can you make it as easy as you can to get this done with that animal? Anyways, it was fun talking to Matt about that and his dogs. And, and uh, you know, he said this was his first time he'd ever been to a clinic and putting himself out there like this. Uh, he did a great job. Um you know, uh, there's so many people that we could just thank here. Um, I do got to give a shout out for sure to Christina Bailey. Uh, Christina brought her little mule, Ellie, a cute little done mule she's been working on for about a year now. Um, and has done a really great job. And, and luckily, since I didn't have great animals um, to demonstrate a lot of the things on, you know, at all the clinics, um, and in each class of the clinic, luckily Christina was there in, in a couple of these, she came to Ohio and to New York. And so I did quite a bit with Ellie, her mule, because Christina has done a fantastic job with the groundwork with this mule. And so it was so nice for me to be able to, to have Ellie there, her mule to, uh, to demonstrate with, and she's just done such a good job. Um, and Christina, she came back-to-back -back clinics uh, in Ohio and New York there and put a, that's a lot of work. And I was telling her, hey, you know, it's kind of like your mules on the road with me here. This is kind of what it's like for to, to be one of my mules, you know, go back-to-back -back like this and demonstrate and new crowds and new people. And and uh, so Christina has done a great job with that mule, worked really hard. And another testament to uh to the process, you guys. I hope these success stories give you motivation to keep working at it and keep trying and to be better and, and stick to the process. Even though you might have some ups and downs, you know, stick to that process and, and keep working at it. Try to try to be your best, you know. But uh, yeah, so Gloucester, um, good time, great weather. 
Although the last day was one of the weirdest things, and I just got to mention this, and I, I've never had this happen in a clinic before, and it really stressed me out until I was actually talking to Christina, and we figured out what happened to each person. But the last day of the clinic, uh, I walk in to the morning class, the foundation class, and half of them are gone, and we ended up counting, and five people, five people canceled or didn't, didn't come the last day which is a horrible sign if you're a teacher and you know that's about half of the class uh there was 12 people in the class and and uh i believe there was 12 and five didn't show up so uh that's a bad deal and it really distracted me for about the first half an hour until i finally was like you know what i can't worry about the people that didn't come i can't i, I got to stop stressing about that because it was bothering me i'm like Oh my gosh, what did I do? Did I then I and I kind of went and turned my microphone off and I asked uh I asked a fellow there I'm like, "Did I say something wrong yesterday? Like, did I did I offend people?" Usually Sky is there doing my PR work and she'll tell me, "Hey, you know, you you can't say that in the clinics, Ty, you know." And she'll get after me. Sometimes I say things on the podcast and she'll say, "You can't don't say that again." And she keeps me lined out. That's one of my favorite things about Sky. She keeps me lined out. She's not afraid to tell me how to be better. And um, anyways, I didn't have Sky there. So uh, I went and asked fell over there, did I say something wrong yesterday? And then I asked Christina, did I say something? Was something, Did I do something? She's like, I don't think so. But yeah, five people didn't show up the last day for the groundwork class. Anyways, after I talked to the host and talked to a few of the others and each of them had a, a reason, I believe, to not come. Uh, I guess they had their own things going, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was really distracting. But like I said, you have to focus on who's there. You got to help the people that want the help. You have to engage the people that want engagement, that want to be better, that, that, that actually did show up and learn. So I had about a half hour of a glitch. So those that were there, I'm sorry for that. Cause I just kind of knocked me kind of off my feet for a second, you know, half the class not being there, but uh, then I tried to give it my all the last, uh, you know, the rest of the class for sure. And so anyways, I just had to mention that and maybe apologize to those that were there if I got a little off uh, off the beaten path there. But uh, so that's Ohio. Um, now, New York, first of all, uh, I got to say, and John Hoffman, our host, he was worried but he, he was stressing about my sound. You know how I told you earlier in this episode how sound is my pet peeve. If we don't have good good speakers, it is a problem. And John was so worried. He uh, His son is a, is a DJ part-time. And so he hooked us up with some awesome speakers, and they were phenomenal. So, John, if you're listening out there, buddy, don't worry. Uh I, I, it was a great sound because he told me when I got there, he's like, all I, I just don't want to be on the podcast for having bad speakers, please. I just, I want, I want to make sure I got it. So he was stressing about it. So anyways, John, uh, Hey man, tell your boy, thanks for hooking us up with some sweet sound. Uh, it was, it was wonderful, but you know, New York, um, I got to shout out these people. Uh, they are stinking tough up there. It rained all three days, and it didn't get very warm, muddy, kind of miserable. But 
everybody showed up and worked and they just kept going. And there's so many places that there's less weather than that, that folks quit, but not these people. They kept going, they kept working. And there's so many people that I need to give a shout out to. Um, one of them is Lisa Whitney. Lisa double dipped. She did both classes. And if you didn't know, you're, you're all welcome to to do both classes at these clinics. Some people don't realize that till after. It's like, oh, I didn't know. They see somebody that did both. They didn't realize they could do both. And you sure can. Um, anyway, she did both classes and she brought her mule Waylon. And she let me use Waylon a bit to demonstrate with the groundwork. Now, the first morning I walk out there to the arena and Waylon is having a party. He's pulling Lisa around, kicking out, barely missing her. She gets out to the end of the lead rope, and he kicks and just dragging her around, and she's having quite the party out there that she doesn't want to be to. And so, anyways, I immediately I got a hold of Waylon, and I went to what started going through the list, started going down that checklist with him, and started working on clearing the front circles, roll the hinds, repeat, stop, go again. And we got him lined out, and he ended up being a fantastic – mule to demonstrate for the clinic and it started rough and it went really well for the majority of the clinic until the last day the last day we were doing fence work and he kind of got a little glitched up about coming up to the fence he was a little worried about that and and that stressed him and you know then then he kind of went back to this partying attitude um you know that he had earlier and and I, I kind of talked about it there, and, and I wanted to talk about it here on the show. But this will happen, and you need to know how to get out of these little ruts that you fall into. And the answer is the process. The answer is going through that checklist, whether you're on the ground or in the saddle, going through those basic fundamentals, getting that mule back to you. Because he started rough, he went great, and he was about to end rough, you know, on that fence work. But again, we went through it, we worked through it and got them to calm down. And, and this process will come up now and again. And, and the hard times will get farther and fewer, um, you know, apart uh, as you work through this. It's just making it through that when they get a little glitch in their system. And Lisa has done a good job with that with Waylon. Huge improvement from last year. She came and rode with us in uh, Fort, uh, excuse me, Ford City. Pennsylvania last year with this mule and wow what a uh, what a progression she has made on this mule another great uh, success story and he's riding really good she's still having a little trouble at the lope and the, the main thing you know I see this quite a bit with the transitions you know make it easy to get into the transition um, a little tip for you guys listening out there working on transitions and this is what I had to tell her a little bit but make sure you don't try to hold a transition until you can get a transition punctually. So what happens a lot of times when people are working at the lope, and this is the most common, is that the lope is they they work and they work and they work, and it's so hard that the mule's trotting and trotting and trotting, and they finally get it to lope. And others are like, oh my gosh, I finally got to lope. I just got to keep it loping. Don't stop. It was so hard. When in fact, stopping and going again is the exact thing that you need to do to get it better. If you hold it, when you're trying to just get it punctually, the mule will get to dragging and dogging on you, meaning he will get dull. You want to make sure that if you're working on getting the transitions and getting them punctually, that you reward the mule for getting up into that transition. 
And it's going to take you a long time. You need to do a lot of these. And you've heard me say it before. I'll say it again. I'm going to say it again in the future a lot. Because uh, I'm not afraid to repeat myself. But you 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 don't want to try to, you don't want to hold until you can get it punctually. And you got to reward them. And you got to be willing to do this over and over and over again. You, you got to be willing to start over. And it takes so many rounds to do this, you guys. You, you got to be willing to, to do it over and over again. Uh, so many folks, are they can do it. They just don't do enough of it. That's probably the most common thing I see out there is most folks are doing the right thing. They just don't do enough of it for long enough. So anyways, good job, Lisa, on that. Um, i got to give a shout out to Cowboy Ken Forcer. Forcer, I don't know how to say the last name. Uh, he he took a pretty good dragging across the arena. And he hung in there for as long as he could. But his, his mule on the groundwork had a little bolting session. Ken came down. And uh, anyways, you did pretty good, Ken, if you're listening out there for an old man uh, hanging on to that rain. He drug clear across that arena uh, in the mud, in the muck, in the rain um, to address this whole bolting deal. We've talked about bolting so many times on this podcast. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm about burnt out of talking about bolting mules, you guys. You're probably burned out of hearing about it. All I want to say about the bolting mule is the the main reason it comes up is too much pressure without flexion. So when people are working on circles, they're working on rolling the hinds, any lateral move, if you put too much pressure in there without lateral flexion, you're going to get them bracing on you, then the brace turns into the bolt. So as you're working, any of you out there listening, and, and this is for everybody, so you can avoid avoid the bolting crap. Don't put accelerant on. Don't go faster. Don't go harder in the move unless you have flexion. So any of your lateral moves, you got to have lateral flexion before you add pressure or else you're going to get them bolting. So this starts from the very beginning all the way through to the very end. That's that's what happens, and that's how they get bolted. So, anyways, but Ken sure hung on when the mule did bolt. I'll give him that. Um, Got to give a shout out to Chris Schilling there in New Berlin. Uh, what a what a progression she has made with her mule pickles. If you guys recall, a couple years ago, me doing a podcast talking about New York about pickles, the pinky puller. <laughs> anyways, a couple years ago at this same clinic. Pickles did a little bolting session and uh, we had to kind of tune up and I was tuning up on them a little bit and uh, blocking them with the lead rope. And I actually broke my pinky um, by doing that, by blocking them with the lead rope, basically taking the lead rope straight down, putting a little wave in it when he was going to take off or something. And uh, I broke my pinky when I was doing that. And so since then, he kind of got the nickname Pinky Pulling Pickles. <laughs> so not anymore, though. Uh, not anymore. She has fixed up the bolting. She's got the groundwork just going awesome and has just done an incredible job. So good job, Chris. Uh, another person I need to shout out to is Cody. I can't say the last name. Bisagno, Bisanano. I don't know. I'm sorry, Cody. <laughs> She's going to beat me up for saying that wrong. 
But she brought a little mule named Fern and uh, she just started this cult herself. And I just have so much, so much joy seeing people start their own cults, working through this, getting it done and doing a good job, sticking to the process. And I love a good work ethic. So Cody, thank you so much for your incredible work ethic. Uh, you just did a great job. Um, so many great people to, to, to shout out to at this clinic. I mean, everybody did, did so good. Christina was at that clinic again. Great job. Uh, Tracy worked hard. Uh, you know, a, a lot of great people there to mention. And, um, uh, we had, uh, my first participant ever from Quebec came down, uh, a lady by the name of Charlie. She came down from Quebec and she did a great job um, getting this stuff done, uh, understanding my my rural Utah accent uh, and trying to translate that to her French mind. <laughs> so pretty dang good. Um, so shout out to you, Charlie. Thanks for coming down to the States and, uh, and working hard at this stuff. Uh, anyways, I'm going to take a quick break right now and thank one of my sponsors. And uh, when I come back, I'm going to answer some listener questions. So hang tight. Hey, I want to thank our amazing sponsors at Mules and More magazine. Mules and More has been around a long time. It's a great magazine. And uh, shoot, I've been reading this magazine since I was just a little kid. I remember my dad subscribed to this when I was little and I'd read it every month and loved it. And now uh, our good friend Corey Daniels has taken over as editor of this magazine the last few years and she has done an amazing job um, also did you know that Meals More comes in a digital format you can download it on your phone read it wherever you're at so hey be sure to check them out mealsmore.com and uh, you know hey tell them Ty sent you I'd be very grateful mealsmore.com okay friends we're back um, first question comes from Lynn Quakel. Um, can you stop a mule from jumping? Today he did it twice to avoid walking through mud. And she's riding him, by the way. Second time he really launched when he was already into a deep spot. I'm sitting them pretty good now since he's done it enough. Some days and weeks, no jumps. Occasionally over a log. Jumping mules seem to be a hot item these days. <laughs> uh, so... Which wants some help with that. Lynn, the main thing with the jumping is the the mule is just doing what it naturally wants to do to, to in its mind to conserve energy to get over that uh, and to stay safe. Um, I just did a video and it's on the Dally Diaries update in our online video library. So if you go to my website, tsmules.com, click on click on online video library. Go to the Dally Diaries collection, click on the latest update. You'll see me working with Dally, jumping over a, a little crick here in Utah. Just a little, like a the crick is only maybe 12 or 20 inches wide. And you'll see us just jumping over. And basically, all I did was jump over. And when she jumped, I rolled the hinds, sent her back. She jumped again, rolled the hind center back. Now, obviously, you got to pick a spot that's going to allow you to do this. 
Um, you know, you don't want to be jumping into trees and jumping into brush and whatever. So you got to be thoughtful about where you actually practice this. But basically, I mean, I just let the mule jump back and forth. And we, we stayed with it. If you watch the video, I can't remember. It's a good, like, uh, I think it's a good 15 minutes of me jumping back and forth until she finally uh, walks across and and or you know she half half heartedly jumps it and then it works she works her way down and, and she walks across and as soon as she's willing to walk across i just leave her alone and now i can pretty much walk across that same spot in fact i rode there just the other day and she walked right across no issues at all and so that's kind of what you're what you're trying trying to achieve there um so pick a spot that you can take the jumping sometimes you just have to set it up to where the jumping is, you know, what you don't want her to do is jump. That becomes a harder thing to do than to walk. So they will get sick of jumping, I promise you. Um, you know, it may take you 15 minutes like that, but put in the time now so that you can walk across later. Also, you know, there are some there are some little creeks and streams that I do want the mule to jump. So I don't want them to walk over everything. Sometimes they do need to jump. Some of these logs, they do need to jump. Now, with jumping the logs, like you mentioned, um, you just have to get the mule familiar with gauging the log size and what they can actually do by walking over it. Basically, the rule is, if the log is taller than their knee, you probably have to put some type of little hop effort into it. If it's as tall as their chest, you know, up up near their sternum, for sure they're going to have to jump over it. You can't walk over that. Uh, that ain't going to happen. They'll obviously get high-centered, right? So if it's, you know, basically between their knee and their chest, they're going to have to to do some type of measured jump. If it's below their knee, then they can walk. And if they want to jump it, that's just a little bit out of laziness. And so those are the types of logs I'd probably go over back and forth until you know, until they found the, the walk. So really just do it more. That's all I do. There's all kinds of tips out there. And there's so stuff that I've done in the past that you'll sacrifice more than you'll gain. For example, a lot of people will say, well, when they jump, just jerk back and pull on the rein or pull on one rein or bend them. You can, you can do all that if you, if you needed to, I don't recommend pulling on two reins at all, but you could, when they jump, you could bend them a little bit. But the problem is, is there's so much bracing them when they're jumping a lot of times like this, at least in this manner of jumping. They're not definitely not, uh, they're not doing it with self-carriage and collection. Um, you know, that you bend them, you're going to put put a lot of brace in there. And it's going to kind of dull up the things you have. So I have honestly found it best just to go over and over again. Okay, let's get another one up here for you. All right. Um, this is from Scott Nichols from Idaho. Hello, Ty. Fancy's walk, trot, lope transitions are going well, and she has been very willing with minimal pressure to move out at a sitting trot, posting trot, and nice slow lope. Today's, uh, two days ago, I could feel her lose her forward energy um, at both gates. I got three quarters around the arena at a nice lope, but when we transitioned down and up again, she refused. Went three quarters of the arena with her kicking out behind um, with both feet while I was asking for the lope. That doesn't sound that fun. I kept squeezing with my legs and pushing with my hips. 
Uh, I'm not wearing spurs, he says. Um, another three-quarters of the arena and finally got four slow lope strides, then asked for the stop. Um, what do you think might have happened, and what would you suggest? I'm headed to ride now. Okay, Scott, um, you're holding it. You, If you have to hold the lope, and we kind of talked about this a little earlier, um, if you have to hold that lope, like you have to push hard, you know, and, and drive with your legs continually to maintain it, you're not ready to maintain it. So I like to get that lope punctual, just picking up the lope. How quick can you just get that lope? And you, you work on that first. Like I, I kind of mentioned this when I was talking about Lisa and Waylon. You, you need to get the punctualness first. Focus on it. You, you, sometimes we get too excited or we as humans get bored with where we're at. And we want to push a little bit further. You, you want to make sure it's punctual. Now, likely if you're having this trouble with the lope, you're probably having some deal at the trot too. So you might check up the trot and see how much holding you're doing. But if you have to hold it to maintain it, you don't got it. So basically, one of the things that I'll do later on to fix this up, once I have the mule punctually in, in the lope, getting the lope where they can just move out right away, once that is going good, then I say, okay, let's go ahead and try to hold this and, and maintain it and keep it going. I will get the lope going, but then my legs come off. And I'm going to absolutely let the mule fail. So I'm not going to hold it with my legs. I'll keep loping with my body in my seat, but I'm not going to keep squeezing and driving and squeezing and driving with my legs at the lope. So as long as they're loping, my legs are absolutely quiet. And as I feel the mule break down, they're slowing down that, that lope, I don't do anything to save them. I let them break down to the trot. And as soon as they break to that trot, then I'll drive them again. So as long as they're loping and you can just maintain lope, I don't care how fast or how slow the lope is, just lope. That was the question, just lope. And as soon as, you know, that's working out, then uh, to where, you know, uh, I mean, it, it's it's pretty easy to, to apply that method right there. It's not very dramatic. It's not very challenging. And once they do lope, I, I, there is going to be an end to it. I mean, First, I might say, well, okay, in my mind, I'm going to do this until I can lope five strides. Five strides is not far in the lope. So I get the mule loping. and Do whatever it takes to get them loping. You might have to do a lot of driving to get them in the lope. You get them loping. Hopefully, they're punctual. But you get them loping. And they lope one, two, three. Then they drop down. I'll let them drop down, of course, like I said. Drive them again when they're in the trot. Get them loping again. One, two, three, four strides they drop down. Okay, that's not good enough yet. We, we pick it up again. One, two, three, four, five. They're looking good. I'll leave them alone. And I'll back off and I'll sit back down and, and let them drop to the trot and the walk. So I'll reward it. That's kind of the process that I'll go through to build my lope up through the stages here. Good question, Scott. All right, let's pull another one up here. Okay. Let's see here. This one is from Brody Noakes. 
Ty, my mule has started to look the other way doing groundwork with centered circles and pushing through that front outside shoulder. His ear is on me and he's using his his uh, fill on the lead rope and not pulling, but I have to give the correction every now and then. I've tried bringing up the tempo and getting him more involved, but he's still wanting to look the other way. I've tried moving into I've tried moving into moving half circles to get him moving and engaged with me, but I'm afraid I will make him less sensitive to the lead and brace on the lead rope. Any tips? Um, all right, Brody. Even if he's not pulling on you yet, that doesn't mean you can't correct this tipping out and dropping that shoulder out. Because remember, we have the centeredness concept we're working on, right? We're trying to keep this mule. When you're doing these centered circles, we're trying to keep this mule on a specific track around us. So you're picturing as you're doing this groundwork, the mule traveling around on that track, specifically on that trail. And as the mule starts to lean like this, well, obviously he's pushing on those centered lines on the outside, pushing on that trail. We need to address it, even if the line is still loose. So as I see the slack begin to leave that line, as the mule starts to leave my track, that's why I'm going to address it. And I'll simply do this by bumping that lead rope, basically pulling the lead rope toward me abruptly and quickly, but with some timing. The timing would be as the inside hind foot is leaving the ground. Because you see, for that mule to drop the shoulder to the outside, he has to push off with the inside. So there's a direct correlation on that diagonal. You want to make sure you have that timing when you bump on that rope, though. Because if you don't have timing and you pull on that rein and the foot is down, well, you might as well just tie your your rope up to a post and pull on it because you'll get the same result. you got to have that timing. So as the inside hind foot, as that toe of the that hoof is coming off the ground, that's when you'll give it a little bump and bring it back to center. Anyways, do it as many times as you need to. Do less sooner. So be quick. Get in there. Be abrupt. Get it done. And then leave them alone. Good question, Brody. All right. I got another one here. Let's see. This is from Heidi and Tim uh, Tabbitt. hope I said that last name right. Heidi, sorry. Hi, Ty and Sky. This question is from Tim for his mule Frost. After double dipping at the Wisconsin Clinic, they have had exceptional progress and Tim is super happy and having a ton of fun with his mule. He has run into a, a snag while out trail riding. Uh, when he comes to a creek, Frost leaps over it instead of just walking through it. What steps should he take to help Frost learn how to calmly walk through the water? So Heidi and Tim, that was the same question that Lynn had. And I uh, just wanted to make sure I give you guys a shout out here on the podcast. Thanks for sending in that question. But listen to that answer that I give Lynn and you'll be good to go. So thank you so much. Um, I believe that's good for today. All right, you guys. Well, um, I appreciate you sending in the questions, and I appreciate all of you listening today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, a couple things I want to mention uh, before we part ways here. Uh, our 2023 clinic schedule is now up on our website. You can go on there, check it out. Go to tsmules.com, 2023 clinic schedule. It's up there ready for you to take a look at. We're registering for clinics for next year. So regular clinics, semi-private clinics, trail riding clinics, all that stuff is there. Uh, also, 
When you go to tsmules.com, you'll see a tab for our master class. I mentioned that already, but if you want some help, you want to take your mulemanship to another level next year, check out that master class. And as always, if you have a question that you would like featured on our podcast, be sure to send me an email, uh, ty at tsmules.com, and I'd love to have it, uh, have your questions and have you on the show here. So thanks for tuning in. If you get time, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please uh, please leave us a five-star review if you think we're worth it, and uh, tell us what you think. So, hey, God bless you, and uh, we'll see you down the road. I need to thank my friend Mr. Ben Lewis at Roman Home. Mr. Ben has designed a really awesome tent. It's a cross between a wall tent and a range teepee. It's built to take tough weather, high winds. Craftsmanship is amazing. And it's made right here in the USA. Right here in Utah, USA. And uh, right now, Ben has a special going on. You can save 500 bucks and uh, go to romanhome.com. Roman spelled R O A. M-I-N, romanhome.com, and uh, tell Ben hello. Tell him Ty sent you.